Rationally Writing. I'm Daystar Eld. And I'm Alexander Wales. And this is episode 56, Race in Fiction. So you are writing a story with, like, <laughs> an absurdly large amount of fantasy races in it. Well, so, technically, they're uh-huh. fantasy species. Ah, and yes, race yes. are actually just different species. They can't, they can't interbreed, right? Right. Um, and are, like, very, very different in terms of uh, physical presentation and stuff. And it's a very different thing. It's often, in fantasy especially, uh, these these fantasy races are used to talk about kind of fantastical racism or um, to discuss race racial issues, but they're mm-hmm. kind of, in many ways, very different, like, for a number of reasons. But we'll say that more f- towards the end. But yeah, it's a, it's a good point that, like, different species in your story are not just different in some aesthetic way. They are not just, like, unable to breed with each other, but they have, like, literally unable to sometimes coexist with each other in the same society in the way that, like, is very different from, from any form of racial uh, disharmony that we've experienced in our world. Right. And and there, there are ways that they're where, if you're, you're talking about differences in, like, fantasy species mm-hmm. um, or, you know, alien species, if you're doing science fiction, where you are kind of talking about the same things, mm-hmm. like, they're, they're different facets of the same of the same shape. And so by, by talking about one, you are talking about the others because you're, you're pointing at this general right. thing. But there, there are other ways that I think are important that it's not that at all. And to, to call them the same is kind of weird. I, I very, uh, Worth the Candle uses mortal species mm-hmm. as its kind of... Yeah, yeah. It's inaccurate catch-all term for just like thinking creatures yeah but not quite because there are some like as, as in the real world there are there are some exceptions to definitions and it's kind of a, a constructed category um, yeah world of darkness does this too where there's there, there needs to be like a new generic term for like what all the categories of peoples are and peoples that's another word where like people is like this happens when i'm, I'm writing in like a, a, a fictional fantasy setting where like elves are all the main characters are elves and like Saying like man or woman feels weird sometimes because it's like it's such a a human centric uh, way to refer to gender. But like you know if you if you were to say person or people, like clearly that just includes both people, both humans and elves. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that comes up in fantasy and sci-fi that you don't get into in yeah. in other realms where you don't have to. That's part of the, one of the reasons that I wanted to do this episode was just because there's stuff that comes up in fiction which is doesn't have analogs to the real world or which is like sufficiently different and weird um but i also think it's a good thing for people to think about and to know especially if you're if you're writing so i guess to start with what is race and it is a fuzzy word in in a lot of ways distinct from ethnicity which uh, has a lot of more like, cultural connotations to it. And there are a lot of concepts that, that kind of go into race or that get pushed into race by how human brains work, basically. Race specifically is a social construct. And what we say when we mean, or what we mean when we say a social construct is is not that it's like a completely arbitrary thing, right? Because there are phenotypes of genes, and there's like ancestry and ancestry is a, a very concrete thing like in the real world mm-hmm. uh, and even if even if you like wiped out the memory 
of of every person on earth we would still we would still have ancestry we would, we would still reconstruct it same like our genetic the genetic stuff like is going to be is in the real world and it is there regardless right, right. there's like biological like medical information that is tied by by averages or even by high incidence rates like amongst certain uh, ethnicities or certain races like you can you can use like racial information is very valuable sometimes to doctors and in hospitals to like check for complications or like uh, adverse reactions to certain things there's been like discoveries of like certain people who like live in like really high altitudes having like like certain parts of their bodies or so organs are stronger weaker and like things like that that are uh, have, that have become part of their shared ancestral experience and that's the majority of what most people mean when they say race they mean like something biological something specific to like your genes whereas in a social context race has has been largely constructed by like the the, the modern zeitgeist like whatever the, the, the thought of the time is about what race means yeah so that you know you can go back even a hundred years in the united states and there would be disagreements about whether or not certain european ethnicities or nationalities counted as white and anyone who who is visibly of two different quote-unquote races is like very much aware that like how they get treated and like how society treats them is like up to up to social uh interpretation it's not like based on anything quote-unquote real yeah it varies very much based on where in the world you are yep um, and like what your society is like, that's when we say racist social construct, it like you can go to a different place and they would they would classify you different mm -hmm. based on your race. But it's not just their system of classification, because that system of classification exists within their society and their conceptions of you will be different. It was actually a really big problem for the Soviets in terms of ethnicity and mm -hmm. ethnic groups, because they had this this idea that they were going to um, do this process of delimitation and and figure out all where well, all of these ethnic groups were and give them their own nation. And a lot of these people did not have an, an ethnic conception, right? They didn't they didn't think of themselves as an ethnic group. They just thought of themselves as you know people who lived in this village right. or whatever. They, and um, so a lot of Soviet scientists were like trying to figure out this stuff because they had to to make this work with the machinery of the state you need to figure out what the ethnic groups were and these ethnic groups didn't have like a conception of themselves as an ethnic group so you you can't just do it on like common physical features so a lot of the times they they sort of went to language and they had to be like okay this is the language and then there were some other people who were, spoke a different dialect of that language and Soviets are trying to make like this be a national language for this new nation that they're planning to build um, for these people, and it just doesn't like they're they're making a social construction that you know a, a lot of our social constructions of of race and ethnicity are on the basis of like how people identify themselves, and the problem with bringing ethnicity to people who don't really care about ethnicity or don't have a conception of ethnicity is you're just kind of trying to jam this square peg into a round hole i think you have that problem anyway but especially so if you're if you're trying to bring it to people who just who, who it's meaningless to them to, to talk about ethnicity yeah and part of what uh the, the idea of race being a social construct also means is that like any number of categories that you want to like choose right when you're looking at um common traits amongst like certain people who are like all born in, in a certain region of the world or whatever whatever your starting place is for like trying to figure out what, what ethnicity means. It's almost always about visible features. I forgot what the exact number is, but like, like you can have more genetic variants in, in like people who, who ancestrally have lived with 
like next to you your entire life than someone who's lived across the globe. And like that kind of thing means that like what we obviously are going to fixate on are the things that are like visibly different between us. And that's, yeah. it's objective in one sense, but it's not like a, it doesn't, it doesn't speak to what people mean when they say race or, or mean when they talk about like a different, a different ethnicity of people with all the social consequences that they imply. So like, especially when you're talking about like fantasy races, like elves and dwarves and stuff, it's like more acceptable to say something like all elves are whatever, like peace loving forest hippies or conversely are like, like perfectionists or are very like intelligent and focused on science. Uh, whatever, whatever, like your fantasy elves like manifest as. Uh, usually there's multiple different kinds, but like you have like this like this like thing to fall back on there, which is like ah, but this is like they're like an entirely different actual species, right? Like in yeah. in, in that case, it's like okay, but like if you can interbreed and you have like these half elves, right? And like these these half elves are, you have to determine like is this person like an, a full elf or a half elf? Like you're going to fixate on like ear length, or you're going to fixate on in your in your uh, story's case things like the teeth. Well, like, you know, there's, there's, there's something physical, visual that you're going to fixate on to determine, are they like a quarter elf, a three-fourths elf, right? Like, like how much, how elven are they? And like, realistically, if this is the case, like species wise, like, you might have elves that are half elf that look fully elf, elven, and some elves that are half elf that look fully human, right? Like, it's, it's not, it's not always going to be visually distinguishable. And so for these people, race is way more of a social construct than it is for others. Like, um, the people who are like unfortunate enough to like be born half and half in a world where that's treated as a bad thing. Obviously, it's not unfortunate if if they are treated normally and fine. But in most yeah. in most in most fiction stories, like half halflings are treated in some respect like worse from both sides because like that's what we know in our world. So like it's it's like an easy social commentary to make. Yeah. So and another another way that race is socially constructed in the real world, like to give an example of of that, is the one drop rule for uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. being black, right? So is in theory, if you have any number of ancestors who are originally from Africa, I mean not you know, not originally from Africa, but black basically, right? Right. Then you are considered black, and in some cases put into law, but it, it it's part of the socially constructed nature of race, because like why you think like why why have the definitions be that way, right? Mm-hmm. Like there are, there are obvious like social social political reasons for it, and those go to slavery, right? Because if you are a white slave owner and you rape your slave and they have a child who is you know half white, mm-hmm. usually you'll you'll say half black, and, and to keep up the institution of slavery, you can't just be like well you know. First of all, you, there was a lot of creation of categories based on like I can't even remember them. It's, it's stuff we don't talk about anymore. These like different racial categories of oh, quadroon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that word. Might have been mentioned um, on Archer once. Yeah, yeah. It's but it's it's one of those things where the one drop rule was was created basically because of these these concerns. You couldn't have this mobility between white and black and you couldn't you couldn't you couldn't have this basically pointed out how arbitrary that it was and a lot of that stuff would have undermined the institution of slavery is to just be like okay like we you know we're just gonna say mixed I mean, that's what we do now we now we yeah. say mixed and that's to some extent its own race um i know in brazil they, they use the term pardo which is kind of a catch-all mm-hmm. and it's it doesn't matter what the mix is it's just it's just its own color or it's it's its own category mm-hmm. that because then 
it's different in Brazil because they, they do it much more based on skin color rather than like physical features or ancestry or things like that. And their conception of race is that two people can be born to the same parents and be considered different races. Right. Just because of differences in, in phenotypes, basically. I, I mean, maybe that's true in America. I mean, I would, extent, yeah, I would but... say insofar as it's physically represented, I think that's how most, that's how most people would assume. That's like the assumption that most people would make. Like there are a lot of people who's, uh, Native American ancestry, for example, or Asian ancestry or something like that is like in question because like it's, it's like far enough back, uh, like certain like visual features aren't as like f- pronounced and they can, they're basically like, uh, or like Hispanic Americans too. We can say like they're like quote unquote passing white. They can pass for white. Yeah. Like how they're treated is, is just, just like differentiated by like what the person knows about their, them or like what, what outs them quote unquote to, to certain people versus others. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of questions of self identification involved in race which is one of the reasons, again, we call it socially constructed. But yeah, it's it's really, this will be the primary focus. We'll probably talk a little bit about ethnicity, which is closely related, but generally race, race is broader categories. They are not necessarily biologically determined entirely, but they are more bi- biologically determined than ethnicity. I mean, it's kind of like, mm-hmm. the, two, the two terms, race and ethnicity, are, are used so interchangeably that i'm not gonna i'm not gonna like be very careful about my language there but like you, you can't really plant a flag on one or the other without like quickly being able to find an example online of like someone saying like oh they're just interchangeable synonyms with each other yeah so that's race as we'll talk about it here mostly i think there are three primary approaches to race in fiction that basically as i as i see it the first is you don't deal with race you can't escape race unless you're doing fantasy or science fiction to some extent right because the people that are in your story there will still if they don't have an explicit race it's hard to get away with in your language having everyone be racially ambiguous or to not like mention features that are racial right because if you're you're commenting on someone's eye color you're commenting on skin color or hair color or like what shape their hair actually is it's, it's hard to escape race completely but one way of dealing with race is just not talk about it. This happens a lot in um, it happens a lot in media from countries where there is virtually no racial diversity. I, I watch a lot of Korean dramas. Race is never like almost never brought up in the Korean dra- dramas, right? Everyone is of the Korean race as it's conceptualized there. It's never brought up in the story, and it's kind of just not dealt with. In that way. That is one way to handle races where you just kind of don't. It's harder, I guess, to do that in something that is, first of all, that has different races in it, and uh, second, that, you know, it takes place in something that is like America, which a lot of fiction, not so much fantasy, but a lot of fiction is set in, if not explicitly America, then places that are are like America. Um, So the second main way to deal with race is to to do a post-racial wonderland where there are different races like there are different phenotypes right different different skin colors and stuff but it's not brought up in the context of race and it's just kind of not dealt with in that way parks and rec is one of the one of my go-to examples there because there are a bunch of people of different races and and the race is never brought up or uh, doesn't really inform characters or 
Like, it, it, it is not the focus of the show, and it's not brought up in the show. It's just kind of in the background, and it's not really how life actually is. But it is a way that you can do it, and it's kind of a fantasy what life might be like. It's, it's a fantasy I like, but it's not... It's not a realistic. It's like an idealized. It's an idealized world. It's it's like what you would hope to see. You know, a hundred, two hundred, however, however many years it might take to get there. But like, uh, it's like what the kind of world you'd hope to see someday. Yeah, and that, I I think that's a it's a very corporate friendly approach to race. It's like if you have if you have, if you're writing for a TV show and you have advertisers, that is the that is the friendly version of diversity, where it's just kind of. It's there, but it's not there. Everyone, everyone's in present. Everyone's present. Everyone's included, and everyone's equal. It's so it just doesn't matter, basically. Yeah, and I like. I think that's a fantasy of the real world. Yeah. Um, which a lot of people, you know, you, you don't want to tune into your comedy and have a mm-hmm. thing about race. Brooklyn Nine Nine, kind of like that. Not as much, but but very common in comedies. But they then they had they had a, an episode in Brooklyn Nine Nine where Carrie Crews' character gets like harassed. He's like out, he's a policeman, but he's out of uniform and he gets harassed for being black. And I hated that episode because the whole rest of the series they just kind of don't deal with that stuff, and everyone's like surprised that it would happen to a black man, and it's like. They, they they wanted their one special episode yes. that dealt more with with like discrimination and and race and stuff like that and it bugged me because it felt so out of place in this world that they had constructed. Yeah, it was discordant to the to the to the character interactions in the world that they built. Treating it that way, I don't know. I, I my my perception of this, maybe I'm I'm wrong on how other people would feel about it, but like in my perception of this, like to bring it up and then not address it is almost worse than not bringing it up at all just because it feels like it feels token eyes a little bit then like it doesn't feel like it's 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 like an actual concern then it's like oh just a reminder that this is a thing and then let's pretend it's not a thing now yeah um so that's the the post-racial wonderland is is kind of approach number two and i the term post-racial wonderland is a little dismissive but it's a safe approach it's not going to upset anyone but racists pretty much <laughs> that pe- people who who think that you know the inclusion of you know black or latino characters is a political motivation thing or whatever so the third option is to go realistic right uh, of the major options and that that's where you try to learn about race you think about race and then you include it in the work in a way that you think does justice to actual experiences and to the real world and that's Mostly what we'll talk about, because I think the first two are, they're fine. Both of the first two are ways of avoiding dealing with uh-huh. race at all. And I think that's fine. I don't think that you need to, to address race in your fantasy stories or, or even your cop shows or whatever. I, I mean, in your cop shows, maybe it would be a good thing to do. But for, for comedies, I, I or, or even just making palatable material for the most number of people, I, I get why you wouldn't. The third option is to, is to try to... Try to do race in what you think is a realistic, sociologically accurate way. That even if that's not what it your work is primarily about. So that brings us to how do you do that? Right. Right. Like how do you how do you deal with race in fiction in a way that is more realistic? So I think the the primary thing that I that I believe or that I take away is is that race informs character because of its social construction and how other people interact with you. 
I think my go-to example of this is probably Black Superman. Mm-hmm. So imagine, like, Superman is an alien, right? He's just, he's also white and mm-hmm. is raised by white parents in a very white community. And then he goes to Metropolis and primarily interacts entirely with white people. With a few exceptions, yes. But it's like Lois Lane and Lex Luthor. And... But so it depends a little bit on, on continuity. I mean, how far back you go, right? Like, <laughs> talking about Golden Age and Silver Age, almost everyone in every in every story was white. Yeah, right. And so you think you could change Superman, and the only thing that you change about him is that he has black skin, right? Because he, he's not from Earth, right? right. He's, from, he's from the planet Krypton, and he doesn't know that much about the planet Krypton. So you you change Superman so that he lands in Smallville, Kansas, or on the outskirts, on the farms or whatever, and um, the Kents discover this black baby, right? Right. So that is going to change a lot about Superman. It's not necessarily going to change his upbringing, because Ma and Pa Kent are... I don't think in any iteration of Superman have been, like, racists. I know the writers of Superman were, like, fairly progressive even back in the... Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. The, in the time period that they were in. But, yeah, like, even even in modern days, though, like, if you were to assume that the only thing that changes is the skin color, like, it would be in, almost inconceivable to to think that his, like, Superman's story would just play out exactly the same. Yeah. Like, to, to not examine any element of, of what that would look like, it would be almost comedic to... To treat it as like, as like, oh yeah, he's just exactly the same in every like his life is exactly the same in every way. Yeah. In the way that like in that in that circumstance, it can't, it, it can't really do it like a comedy does. Like you can't you can't posit like a post racial wonderland in in a story with something so intrinsic to the way the society that the person is being raised in would be impacted by their 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 individual what what makes them the focus of the story. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, Black Superman as a thought experiment necessarily has different experiences than superman and more so as mm-hmm. you go back in time yeah right? yeah absolutely like yeah like you know superman of the of the like 1940s or 50s he's this all-american symbol and that conflicts with uh this way that america sees itself right like it's not it's not an accident that as originally written superman is white that's not you and know. and even if he's so, um, Superman has basically always been someone who is unwilling to break the law. Yeah. So like, would Black Superman and Jim Crow era have just kept to just drinking from like, I guess I guess I guess while he's got the uniform on, like he wouldn't like maybe he just wouldn't drink from water fountains while he's got the uniform on or something because that would be like incongruous to like the the image that he's trying to project. But like it, it like breaks the like I, I kind of want to see this now like someone like writing this specific story because like. You can't imagine that Superman being raised in this time period would not like wouldn't participate in in some way to try to like stop the the racial practices that were like evident all around him. Yeah. Even if it's just in his role as Clark Kent, right? Like I could imagine a story where if we keep him working as a reporter, he has to work for the AMP because of the time period, whatever the DC universe's version of that would be, and would be more likely to be covering political issues. And then you have him suiting up and saving people, and you have to wonder like, how does the KKK feel about this? How do those opposing integration feel about this black demigod flying around as an invincible beacon of hope? Do the writers make Lex Luthor black too, or keep him white? Like, what's that dynamic? Yeah, and even even in the modern day, you know, it's a lot of the like modern Superman. He he's like in his thirties mm-hmm. uh, or or something like that. I know the Snyder films had him be 
they tried to push the Jesus allegory as hard, hard as they could, and he doesn't become Superman until he's done his being a carpenter thing for however long. So, like, Black Superman then, who is, like, early 1990s, and, like, that racial landscape is different. It's just, it's, the, the basic point is that race informs character because uh, your character is embedded in a society. And it's one of the things you should think about. You should think about that, you know, even if your character is not a person of color, right? Mm-hmm. I, and I, I think about this for Worth the Candle because it's a, an American, it is a, like an American Zoomer, basically, is a white person who is in a very white, small town and how that conception of race is different. There's not a lot of, like, discussion of race. There's barely any in, in Worth the Candle, but there's a lot of discussion of things that are... Yeah, facets of the same shape. Yeah. But I, I, I do try try to think about how it's easier if, if you're the majority race. Yeah, I was just going to say also, like, like he fell into a fantasy world in which humans are uh, the majority species. Yeah. Or maybe not the majority by number, but majority by influence, I think is, is the way it's put some, at some point. And, like, disproportionately influential and, and powerful uh, for, the, for the species. And that would be a very different experience if... Like going into this world might be a very different experience if humans were a segregated minority or like a oppressed minority. Yeah. But then that experience of going into that world would be very different for a you know young white person in modern America as compared to a young black person in modern America going into that world or like from you know a different time period in, in America or even a different different country yeah. in the world going into that world. Yeah, and it's that's one of the things I think I I have on my. You know, we'll probably do an episode on, if we're going to do an episode on, on race and fiction, we'll probably do an episode on, on gender. But I have on my, like, list of, it's like Elseworlds kind of worth candle stuff that mm-hmm. I want to write after I'm finished with it. One of them is a gender-bent version of it. Gotcha. Where the only thing that you change is the gender of the main character, right? Gender and physical sex as well. Mm-hmm. But I, I think about that, and I think about all the changes that would need to be made for that, just because you can't. You can't just say, well, this is the same character because they wouldn't have had the same experiences because, you know, they live in a society and they are embedded in that society. And so I do think about I, I think about that in terms of like if you were to rewrite Worth the Candle, except Juniper is black. You have to change so many things because yep. like the worlds that he creates should should be different. Right. His perspective on on the world should be different, especially if it, he's like growing up in a small town in Kansas still like that that experience for a young black kid is different than for for a young white kid yeah one thing that's interesting to me also is that like so in in practical guide to evil skin color is almost completely immaterial instead what country you 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 live in is like treated as way 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 more important than skin color like it's skin color is like remarked upon now and then but like no one really cares at all like it doesn't really seem to matter at all insofar as it like identifies someone from like one part of a country or another or from one country to another but like the dread empire has like dark skinned and light skinned people in it you know like cat herself is like people like sometimes wonder if she's if she has like dwarfish blood because of her darker skin and like 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 the, these things like come up but like the way that your country co- the culture that your country represents matters to your character is like so much more important than that in this particular magical world and so, like, it's an interesting way also to view, like, the idea of, like, how we make these assumptions based on skin color can also be represented as, like, the way we expect characters to act based on their on their culture. And so, like, some people who may think something like, well, you know, it shouldn't change that much that they're, they're a different skin color. It's like saying, like, well, it shouldn't change that much if, like, uh, someone who was born in, like, a Middle Eastern country or something was, like, dropped into a fantasy uh, 
world. Like, not just someone from a Middle Eastern country raised in America, but, like, actually in a Middle Eastern country dropped into the exact same world. Like, even if they were still someone who was, like, nerdy and, like, played tabletop games and stuff, they would have, like, vastly different experiences, vastly different expectations, the kind of, like, cultural, like, references that they would use and, like, ideas that they would use. You know, modern globalization has homogenized this to some degree, but, like, it would still be a very different character. Because your culture shapes you in many ways, and not always in obvious ones. Sometimes you get shaped by just the way people in your culture treat you, or the shoulds that get applied to you. And a lot of those expectations are based on skin color or other ethnic features that you have. Right. A comedian did a skit once about how, like, black men can't mess with time machines. <laughs> like, they can go forward, but not back past, like, the 70s without major issues. And that's obviously an Anglo-centric perspective on the hypothetical difficulties they would face. But the same applies to a degree to any isekai story, unless you purposely make the fantasy culture match the protagonist's ethnicity or be some kind of post-racial wonderland. Yeah. I think that there are, one of the interesting things that you can do with fantasy is you can have different ways of conceptualizing the world that are not the ways that we currently use. The ways that we currently use, especially in America, because that's where I'm from, and so <laughs> I, I tend to view those things through American lenses, right? And one of the things I like about reading history is that you can look at these different, especially like philosophical history, you can look at these different frameworks that people had and these different social constructs that they had, and you don't have to include those in your fantasy world. In fact, it's maybe better if you don't. Like, like that is, it is one of the things that I, that I try to keep in mind is that, is that my fantasy world does not have to be America. It doesn't right. have to, like... It doesn't have to have the same the the same understandings of the world, the same the same kind of frames that are so ubiquitous that you, you can barely even see them. Definitely applies to race, but uh, like in in Worth the Candle, your species is obviously going to be much more important than the color of your skin, mm -hmm. right? And I'm I'm not sure that that's I'm not sure it's a hundred percent true to 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 think that if you had this big difference in species, then people would not care about race that much because you, I, through history, I think you can look a lot at like how different ethnic groups that have vanishingly small differences between them will just like fight tooth mm -hmm. and nail and have these huge in-group out-group divisions that are just like meaningless, not meaningless. I, I don't want to like say that people's cultural or racial conflicts or whatever are totally meaningless, but you just kind of scratch your head and you're like, why when there's like so much that's different <laughs> right. about you compared to everyone else? Why is it, why is it this big? Why is it this big thing? My operationalization of this is something like, um, and like this meaning like the idea of like meaningless differences is, is kind of like what you mentioned earlier about like, if, if you just kind of like wiped everyone's memory, it's like memory, memory is weird. So like, it's hard to like know exactly how this would work. But if you, if you were to somehow wipe everyone's historical memory, how much, how many of these differences and, and enmities and, and like, like disagreements and stuff like that would persist with the, in, in the new social order that, that, get, that, that gets created? Um, yeah. like, like there are some things that I think people would still suddenly like start forming in groups and out groups over, over enough time, but I definitely think it would be way, way less for basically across the board. Yeah. There's so much evidence that like people who are raised in a multicultural and multiracial and multi-ethnic you know, town or city or, or like environment are just generally speaking less 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 prejudiced or less inclined towards prejudicial state statements if you want to get like technical or something. That like the idea that people could 
legitimately just have just less problems. The, the more generations pass, them like spending time together and considering themselves all as the same is, I think, fairly borne out by the research. So, like, yeah, you get some of these differences that, like, you know, if aliens appeared, like, tomorrow, I don't think necessarily, like, all racism on, on Earth would go away. But, like, if knowledge of aliens persisted, you know, for, like, a few generations, I think it would probably accelerate the, the bonding. Or it would probably erode the, the distinctions, uh, the, the, how much these distinctions mattered to a lot of people faster. Yeah. So, we'll talk a little bit about how race informs character. I mean, so, I think we've laid out that race does, in fact, form char- inform character. And that's one of the reasons that you should at least think about it, even if you're not going to have it be anything that is um, explicit or even necessarily implicit to the text, right? It's still something I think that you should think about mm-hmm. in, in, the, in the course of, of making a character. If you're in a society that has a conception of race, which I guess you don't have to. So a lot of it is in is in terms of grouping people. Like people feel like they belong to a race. At least that's how I've understood. I, I've never felt like super white, right? Like I've never felt an ethnic identity. I'm actually mm-hmm. I'm actually ethnic Mennonite, which is like a subset of, of white. Right. <laughs> um, I felt Mennonite, definitely. Because my, you know, my my mom and my dad are both Mennonites and it goes back, like everyone in my family is Mennonite going back like 15 generations, something like that. And Mennonites do not, generally speaking, breed outside of their little self-imposed ethnic group. But I know it's much more keenly felt for minorities, especially because you have to deal with a lot of problems that the majority race does not have to deal with. I think that that is one of the thing, key things to think about. One of the key ways in which race informs character is those little things that you do not necessarily notice. I, the big example that gets thrown around as a an example of white privilege is band-aids that are skin color, but that skin color is white. And so... If you're if you're black, you have these things that are marketed as you know flesh colored or skin colored and designed to not be super noticeable. Like is, is the idea. Yeah, but but they're they're not designed for you, right? Right, and that's the case for for a whole lot of things that you will encounter in your life as a minority race. Yeah, and this might seem like a minor thing. I think most people would agree that things like not having to think about how noticeable band aids are against your skin aren't an important example of privilege compared to like not having to worry about being profiled by police or not having to worry about your kids being discriminated against by the school staff. But it's just an example of both things that you don't even really have to think about if you're part of the majority and things that you might not even think about if you're writing a character who looks different than you. The smaller they are, the easier it is not to notice them unless you've talked to someone who like has experienced it or really put a lot of thought into it. Yeah, I know for for black people have different hair. Mm -hmm. The hair grows differently. And like dress codes that call for men to have shaved faces affect African-American men differently because it's more burdensome to them because they're more likely to get skin irritations and stuff like that. That's another of those things that you just probably do not think about if you're white. Yep. Thing, kind of thing that is good to think about as something that informs character. Uh, if you're if you're thinking about what your characters are like and what their life experiences are like, if you're trying to write someone who is not of your race, because presumably, like if you're 
white than you know about being white, and you can more accurately write a white character. You should still think about it, but... So there's two things, I think, also to this that we can kind of distinguish. One is, like, the things that you might focus in on, specifically because of your race slash ethnicity. Like, the things that you will include as, like, quote-unquote positive, not in, like, good or bad, but more positive versus, like, there versus not there. Like, like positive experiences that will be there because of, of what you're experiencing, what you uh, are used to and just take as normal. But there are also going to be negative things, like things that are that are just not included or not thought or not imagined because of, of experiences you haven't had. And so, like, you know, dress code is a good example of this just in terms of, like, if you are if you are a black woman, like, certain quote-unquote professional hair, hair standards are, like, a thing that can cause a lot of extra upkeep and effort and, like, inconvenience and stuff like that that just, like, you know, a lot of white people just don't even realize or think about in terms of, like, what what's quote-unquote considered professional, like, as a look or as a standard or as a code or whatever the case may be yeah right so like if you're if you're designing your character and like how does this character like like just thinking about like like what does my character look like even right you might include specific things that like are if you want to make the character quote unquote more like you like you might include certain things like what what makes them identifiable as a certain uh, a certain race or background or something like that but like it would be really common to fail to notice the, the choices that go behind some of these choices if you're making a character that has lived a life probably that you have not lived, right? Because, like, yeah. there are things you don't know not to, not either, there are things you don't know about the, the, what face of the race, the face of the ethnicity, the, the thing that, that you just don't even think about that goes into what someone presents to you as. Like, it just has a whole plethora of, of factors and, and considerations and frustrations and all these different things that might go into it that you don't even yeah you don't even think about because you don't know yeah and knowing is hard (laughs) like there's a lot there's a lot to know yeah there's there's a lot to know and a lot of the little stuff is just stuff you wouldn't think about unless you were explicitly told even if you were like trying to think up from first principles (laughs) you just wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily know until someone mentions it somewhere it's Mm -hmm. not like something that people would write a lot of articles on you're not going to see it in the news. You're you're going to have to explicitly go out and search for it. Um, yeah, a lot of that a lot of that stuff is very interesting to me because it's so it's so otherwise invisible. Like it's it's something that I easily could go my life being totally ignorant of. But I I think about that kind of that kind of small stuff a lot, and I think it's one of the things that to to at least think about. One of the other things, one of the other ways that race informs character is uh stereotypes especially how people regard stereotypes of their own race is one of the one of the more interesting bits of characterization there was a there's a reddit thread i was reading a while back and there's something that really stuck with me i can't remember even what the thread was but it this asian woman was talking about how when she was growing up she really didn't want to be the stereotype of the like smart nerdy asian girl mm-hmm. and so she kind of like actively was pushing against any of that stuff and like dissing it and uh just because she just because she didn't want to be that stereotype she didn't she didn't like the way that the stereotype felt and so just kind of had this reactionary position against it um which i thought was i thought was very interesting as kind of a unexpected way in which in which like race will play into like how you conceive of yourself and how you act and how you behave as this kind of 
this reactionary mindset to it. Like you don't you don't want to be a stereotype, or you like you dislike the stereotype, or you you know you have to deal with with other people thinking that about you, even if it's like what I would see as a more positive one. Yeah. Right. So there, there's a lot of uh, kind of derogatory terms for people who are of one race and engage with the culture or engage in behaviors that are like that of a different race. Yeah. Even if you like what kind of is mind boggling to me, it's like if you are, if you're black and you grow up in a white household for whatever reason, like people will give you shit about like that being your culture. I I don't know. It's, it's one of those things that is, it's kind of, it's not puzzling to me because I under, I understand it, but it's, it's it's so unfair in a way, or it's so like there's there's a level here of, of like even if you presume a character as blind as you want them to be, then they then still have to contend with other people or the culture of, yeah. of their ethnicity. Right. So like I'm um, ethnicity wise, like I'm I'm Middle Eastern. My my parents are both Iranian. I was raised in the United States. I have a cultural upbringing that's largely Jewish because uh, a large part of my childhood uh, was going to a Jewish private school. And so, like, American-raised, Jewish-raised, Iranian household that, like, you know, surrounded by the language and the food and, and some customs and things like that. But I don't really think of myself as any of these. Like, I don't, I really, I, insofar as I can understand myself, like, I, I don't feel like I have any kind of racial, ethnic, or, or national identity. But I've still been shaped by having the physical features I do, and I still have privileges based on the way I look and the culture I was raised in, whether I identify with them or not. And on top of that, I still have to interact with Americans and Jews and Iranians who would expect me to act or think in certain ways because of those traits. Yeah. Right? Like, it's it's not even just what I what I think of the world, but also how the world in each of these circles, expect me to, to behave a certain way or think a certain thing. You know, like, you might be get asked ex- uh, your opinions about things that, like, you, you really don't have any opinion on or you don't, like, have any knowledge on or, like, don't even care about um, because of expectations like this. So those are all pressures that are put on you that shape you, whether you go with them or push back against them or just, like, aware of them and learn how to navigate them in ways that those of different backgrounds wouldn't. And all of that applies to your characters, too. All of that can be used to flesh out a character and make their voice authentic to their background, or mark a difference between one character and another, you know, even if all you change is, is like, their skin color or their ethnic features. Your character is going to be shaped by that, not just the experiences they had, but also, like, for, for themselves, but also, like, the expectations that have been put on them by others. Yeah, there's a lot of terms like acting white and acting black, and it's one of the things that I think that, yeah, if you're if you're doing, especially person of color in a American setting or or something similar to that you should think about how that impacts the character and just in terms of other people and in terms of their relation to it and i i had a a black friend growing up who was very he was very white um Mm -hmm. and and that was kind of hard for him because there are these people will think that you're like betraying your race like that's a thing (laughs) like 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 people expect not just material solidarity and support they expect cultural solidarity and stuff like that and that's that's a hard thing to deal with especially if you're you know just a kid growing up trying to navigate this stuff especially in a i grew up in a a small town that was very white and it's just it's just a a, one of those things that it's it's difficult to deal with and then if if you're thinking about characters those characters have to deal with it 
in one way or another, right? Yeah, and like the connotations that come with each is so like different too. Like a lot of young white boys, especially like growing up in like inner cities and stuff like that, like they might have a lot of like black and Hispanic friends and like the culture that they that they might grow up in is like like they they enjoy the same kind of music, like they might shift the way that they wear their clothes or walk and stuff like that. And this is seen as like especially by like their families probably, but like this is seen as a lot of other white people as like specifically bad in like a low class as, as like connotations of low class, right? Yeah. Like you said, like, it can also be especially difficult for them if they're like, like, I'm not acting like anything or pretending to be anything. This is just, like, what my friends and I do. Like, this is just the way we talk. And, like, this is, like, what's what's the problem here? And that obviously perpetuates this idea that, like, certain behaviors or ways of speaking or aesthetics are not just tied to certain ethnicities, but are low class and low status. And that can obviously have harmful effects to those who are raised with them as just normal. Yeah. So, uh, actual laws are another one less relevant today still pretty relevant you know like in terms of how the law might explicitly impact you i mean this this is the kind of thing where if you don't really want to write about race and you mostly just want to think about race from a perspective of character impact and just having a fleshed out coherent world you don't necessarily need to get into like legal discrimination but in america that's definitely you know it's definitely, like, there's explicit legal discrimination in the not-very-distant past. Uh, and then it, structural systemic racism in the present. Um, that's another thing that informs character, definitely bears thinking about. Um, it's, it's pretty common for, uh, for black families to have the talk with their kids, which is about how to behave around police and ways in which you should behave in order to not escalate things, just yeah. show deference and, <laughs> and try to get out of it and not be impacted at all. Yeah, and to, something to talk about here is also like, this isn't just about how they interact with police. I've done therapy with low-income households, which included a lot of people of black and Hispanic descent. And like, when you're talking to like a, a, a kid about, quote-unquote, respecting authority, this authority comes in the form of obviously like police and teachers and parents, basically any adult, right? And for like a white kid, this is like, it's like, oh, you got to listen to your teachers. You know, they, they're telling you, you know, what you're supposed to do. Don't be bad, blah, blah, blah. When a, when a black family is like concerned because their their kid isn't listening to authority, they're afraid their kid's gonna get shot when they're older. Yeah. You know, like it's not just it's not just like oh they're they're being an unruly student or something. Like this is like an actual fear that this that this person is just not going to learn sufficiently fast enough to not get killed. Yeah, it's definitely a very character informing thing <laughs> that you can't just you can't just kind of gloss over very easily you it, you know it doesn't have to be an explicit part of the text mm -hmm. of the fiction that you're writing but it you know i would argue it's probably a good thing to think about and if that's helps to be like an implicit part of the character uh that that you are keeping in mind that they probably had this kind of thing happen in the past because it's very common and that's i think that's a good thing to keep in mind it's a good part of building the character in your head you don't need to include it in the, in the work itself but it's an important thing to have present in your conception uh, if, if you're choosing to write about race, right? Or if, if you're choosing to try to portray race in a realistic manner. Other than that, oh, uh, we've not talked about, like, uh, uh, I'm not sure what I want to call it. Literal racism? Like, literal <laughs> hatred and bigotry? 
Yeah. Because uh, that, that's not even something we brought up yet, right? Because there are people who will hate you because of the color of your skin. Or not, not even necessarily the color of your skin, because, you know, people have their bigotries are, are, can be very different and they might just perceive you to be a certain race that you like don't identify yourself as so yeah racial and ethnic supremacy uh as a separate thing and then also bigotry based on race and ethnicity as a separate thing and then also like signaling in group when you're creating a fantasy world in this regard also like it would be hard not to notice like that these people also exist any kind of political story at all and like race comes up as some factor of, of like why people are doing things in certain ways that like advantage or disadvantage certain races and stuff like some of the characters are just going to be motivated by straight up just like racial superiority right like yeah. and other of them are going to not be motivated by racial superiority but just like ignorance of like you know ignorant bigotry like not not being aware of like why the things that they believe about other races are wrong or the stereotypes that they have are wrong and like they're going to be stupid versions of both these people and also like cunning versions of both these people and like it's a whole like how you how you create your characters is a big part of what makes like this feel kind of like either like an Aesop or, or not like whether or not you want like bash like it can feel like bashing so your reader over the head right with like a message if you're like ah oh, yes clearly they're the bad guys but like if you if you don't want to include them in any way like if you don't want your your antagonists or or other characters to just ha- like have that trait like that's still missing some some piece of of the puzzle it's okay to not like have them be the the main like antagonist of of the story that this is like coming in but like like they definitely exist these things are, are descended from from these kinds of ideal ideas yeah and so like how how you address that is is difficult but like it's just it's the choices of sometimes sometimes you 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 do risk being like too heavy-handed with the examples but like it's also worth knowing that those those examples are like real like they don't they don't they, they're because the fact that they're like tropey or stereotypy doesn't mean that they're not like real examples of like how people actually think and behave yeah, this is a story I've probably t- told before, but my both my grandparents were um, conscientious objectors in World War II. And that is a tenet of the Mennonite faith. It's conscientious objectors going back like 400 years. They, they don't fight in wars. They don't. They sometimes give taxes to countries that go to war, but uh, will try wherever possible to get an exemption from that. Because they don't want their tax stop. They don't want to like pay money in and have those taxes go to support war. So they were both conscientious objectors in World War II. And my grandfather would often tell me that, you know, he, what the government put them to work doing was, was building bridges and stuff and, and like digging ditches so that they would not have to be, so they wouldn't have to be supporting the war effort or doing what they considered to be supporting the war effort. They were doing infrastructure work. And the, the discrimination from the government was basically that they did not give any help to these work crews at all. Uh, they didn't, they didn't pay them. Um, they didn't give them food. The food had to be like food or money for food had to be like shipped to them from their communities and stuff. Uh, and then people would stop and they would know that these were work crews were you know, conscientious objectors who did not go to war. And people would stop and, and they would spit at him or on him, you know, when he was just like digging ditches and like building bridges and stuff. And he talked about that a fair amount, you know, and it was also something I was curious about because it's not, you know, no one knows what a Mennonite is. I, I I hardly ever meet anyone who who understands like the history of of my people basically, uh, which is one of religious persecution and and being chased from place to place and stuff like that. That's that's kind of the Mennonite history. Most of it coming down to this 
nonviolent, non-resistance stance. But that's one of the things that um, that I think about a lot in terms of how that probably affected my grandpa and like how he mm-hmm. viewed his face because he was he was very young when he was doing that. He was you know he I think he might have actually still been a teenager. I'm not a hundred percent sure on that, but he like when he would when he was doing that with these other you know Mennonite men and that was what they considered part of their duty but yeah i i think one of the things that i think a lot about when i'm thinking about race is is another thing that is very a very common experience which is like getting called a slur or like having your first interaction with with someone who is outwardly bigoted that's something that a lot a lot of people will vividly remember that because it happens you know it happens when you're fairly young and it can be scary and kind of kind of changes how you see the world and like your place in it yeah childhood events are the most jarring because you know they're so unexpected for for people when it's the first time but it can still take you by surprise at any age if you're just not used to it too like just a couple of years ago i was driving to a client's house middle of the day and at a red light some guy just like walks in front of my car and wouldn't move. Uh, he just starts like yelling about some black guy with a machete being after him, and told me to call the police. Like I looked around, obviously, and didn't see anyone. Uh, I told him, you know, there's a gas station just across the street that he could like go to to like call the police from if he wants. Uh, he said no and insisted that I call and wouldn't move for I think it was like three full traffic light cycles. Um, I was just kind of annoyed at first. Like he stepped to the sides each time to stay in front of me when I tried to like back up and, and drive around him at green lights, like worried all the while that I'd hit another car going by on, on the sides. But eventually he started calling me some Jewish slurs and I was like, well, shit, this is escalating pretty quickly. Um, I didn't have anything Jewish on my car, so I'm guessing he stereotyped me by the way I look. But it's also possible that it had nothing to do with me and his anti-Semitism was just coming out as a way to insult people, the way people use homophobic slurs as generic insults. I eventually got him to go away by like taking my phone out and recording him, but it was pretty sobering thinking about how rarely things like that happen to me compared to the more common racism or sexism that others endure. Yeah, we will do an episode on gender, but a lot of a lot of women will have a story about the first time they're like catcalled. Less common now, but even like 10, 20 years ago, that's like the first time that someone like sexualized you, right? Mm-hmm. And then that's like an important part of how you see the world and and your understanding of it. Yeah, I, I don't think that you necessarily need to include explicit bigotry, but you should think about how a person is informed by their interactions with explicit bigotry of one kind or another, right? Other than that, I, there, there are a whole bunch of things that go into race, right? There are a whole bunch of things, like little and not so little ways in which it will impact your life. And I, I think that We've listed a lot of them, but that's probably not all. There's like mm-hmm. dating markets are very different oh, man, based yeah. on race. Advertising, very different. Names. Yeah. Names, especially in fantasy or sci-fi settings, can always be like a weird thing where like etymology doesn't necessarily make sense and like what cultural background these names come from doesn't always make sense. But like, yeah, like some names are very identifiable from certain cultures or ethnicities uh, or races and, and like that can just be like a whole a whole other thing about like how quote-unquote nondescript your names are basically just means like how like anglocentric they are you know yeah there is uh colorism which is basically that the more light-skinned you are like people will still call you black either way right Mm -hmm. Uh, and and you'll still identify as black either way but you get more benefits from being a lighter-skinned black it's like it it, it, people are more likely to hire you and Mm -hmm. just 
you are seen as more desirable on the dating market. It's it's a pretty big thing in the black community, that kind of frontier of of what uh, race constitutes. Uh, and it's not it's not just the black community. It's very common in um, all basically all over the world. Uh, it's very common for that lighter skinned is better thing. Okay, so uh, moving on from how race informs character, unless you have anything else for that? I think that's... There's a lot more that we could say. We're already like, going on like an hour and 15 minutes nearly, so like I don't know how much how much like should or could be like saved for another episode. Yeah. Uh, mostly I just want to talk about briefly how to do your research. Uh-huh, how to uh-huh. like, yeah, yeah. actually get it right. And talking to real people is good, can be very embarrassing to do, and you know, kind of uncomfortable. And it's not, you know, it's not your black friend's job to educate you about what it is like to be black, right? That's not, like, that's not something that your friends are necessarily signing up for. I, I don't know what kind of friends you might have, dear listeners, but that's a good way to do it. But I would also just seek out people who talk about their experiences. And um, there are a ton of books out there for you to read. I did uh, I did a Native American studies in college that was very informative of what that experience is like i live in a place that's our largest minority population is is ojibwe and it was very informative of the indigenous experience basically like as it as it exists now not like historically but like what 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 the issues are what the what the experience is like the those kind of small things that i think are not only good to think about, but also can really help to sell the reality that you care about. Like when, when you're constructing your work of fiction, I think those small things like are not just important to think about, but they're important to, to have that vers- verisimilitude is a good thing. But uh, a lot of that you get from, from just reading books, reading interviews, reading... I mean, it's the internet, so you can go to places where people will, you know, people of whatever race will congregate and talk about racial issues and stuff like that. Uh, there are not typically barriers to you, and yeah, and and it, it is good to to talk to someone in person or by phone or whatever, obviously, to like be able to ask questions and things. But like, do your research first. Like, read 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 up some stuff first. Like, don't just like be like oh, I should learn more about how this person lives their life. And just don't, like, if you've got a good friendship with someone, you feel comfortable doing that, then fine. But like, um, it it usually helps to, to you're, like you'll wh- when you read more about these things first and like look into them first and stuff you'll have better questions to ask. Like, you'll have more specific things to, like, be curious about and, like, ideas already of, like, what, what kinds of, of things you might not know you don't know. And so, like, it can it can also help the other person feel like you you put some effort into and weren't just, like, relying on them to, like, answer all your questions for you. Yeah. Other than that, I think... Oh, we were going to talk about the difference between, between uh, race and species. We could save that for another episode. Yeah, I think we should this po- one or something. We should probably do a species a species episode anyway. So, yeah, yeah, we can definitely definitely do that. So, yeah, uh, I'm sure there's a whole lot more that can be discussed on this topic, and we'll probably see in a lot of the comments. You know, this is obviously just our our own views and experiences and opinions on these topics, and like we're not experts on the matter. So, like, if there are other things that you'd like to hear us talk about, or like you think we haven't considered or something like that, we could probably do another episode on this at some point. Yeah, if you, if you want to hear me talk about being Mennonite, 
that I, I am an expert on. <laughs> cool. <laughs> so yeah, I uh, hope you enjoyed the episode. And uh, yeah, tune in next time for... I, we can just go straight to gender or species or, or something if you want. Yeah, I think I do species next time and then cool. maybe gender the time after that. All right. Thanks for listening, guys.